Roger asked me about a month ago to preach on this Sunday. I was slightly nervous. And then he gave me the topic, the passage of Scripture to preach on. And I was more than just slightly nervous. It's concerning forgiveness, um, which is not something that I've mastered yet in this life, but I strive to um, become better at each day. Uh, But I do want to thank Roger, because if you didn't know, the last time I preached at Christ King Grace, I was given an hour's head notice. Um, And the sermon was only seven minutes long. Sadly, it will be longer than that today. But thank you for a month's head, head notice. Uh, my prayer today is that this sermon glorifies and honors our Heavenly Father. Uh, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we gain a, a, a better knowledge and understanding of what forgiveness is so that we may be able to forgive just as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, forgives us. And so in these six verses of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus blesses us with the gift of a model of prayer. For many of us, this prayer is the first thing we were taught in Sunday school, um, Something that we recite every Sunday before we take part in the Lord's Supper, uh, in, in communion. Um, and this prayer is, is beautiful and it's holy and it's something that we should never take for granted. Um, it's something that we should hold dear to our heart because it's from Jesus himself. And for the past three weeks, Roger has gone over all these verses, um, except for the three that we'll go into today. In these three verses, we see Jesus use the word forgive six times. Twice within the Lord's Prayer and four outside of it. No other word is used more. And to make his point ever so clear, Jesus gives us a clarification for it at the end in verse 14 and 15. Now, depending upon which translation you you grew up using or what church you grew up in, what translation they used, you might recite it a little different. It was quite funny when Danielle and I first got married because that came very apparent I grew up in the Episcopal Church using the NIV and then the ESV, and, and she grew up Baptist, so she used the KJV. Um, so it was a, I was a little perplexed when she was saying vows and shout nods and yays, uh, but I'm glad to say I almost have the Baptist fully shaken out of her. So <laughs> we're almost there. She's almost fully Anglican. Um, now, you may not know this, but the Lord's Prayer has seven petitions, and today we'll go over the fifth petition, which just might be the most complex. This is because it has a clause. Jesus says to us, we may only be forgiven of our debts if we first have forgiven those that are our debtors. Now, I am to make two things clear today. The first is that it is only in God whom we sin against. Surely we can lie, cheat, and steal from one another from our neighbor. And that is a sin, but it's a sin towards God. Because the definition of sin, as we read in our catechism, is a thought, word, or deed which offends God's holy character and violates his law missing the mark of his will and his expectations. I don't know about you, but I, unlike God, do not have my own law. um, And I do not have a holy character, even though I strive for it. The second thing I want to make clear today is that it is is only God who can truly forgive. The only way that we can know how to forgive is because God first forgave us. We read that in Genesis with Adam and Eve and their expulsion from the Garden of Eden. God forgave them. And then the book of Leviticus God teaching his priests on how they can be forgiven of their sins through sacrifices. And then now here in the book of Matthew from Jesus, we read of how we can be forgiven of our sins and how also we can forgive others who are indebted to us just as we're indebted to God because of our sins. So know that God sees his holy character reflected in his children when they ask for forgiveness because he continually forgives us. But... To ask God for what we ourselves refuse to man is to insult him and his holy word. As theologian David Brown puts it, So much stress does our Lord put upon us 
Then immediately after the close of his prayer, it is the one point in which Jesus comes back upon for the purpose of solemnly assuring us the divine procedure in this matter of forgiveness will be exactly what our own is. So why did Jesus choose to put forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer? He could put many other things, but he made a point to add forgiveness to the Lord's Prayer. Well, there's, a few, there's a few suggestions that we can make. The first is that it is a reflection of the gospel. Jesus made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins through his death on the cross and victory over the grave. Then with that status of being washed clean of our sins, we need to then forgive others who are indebted to us just as we've been forgiven. This gift of being raised to a new life, the gift of being forgiven of our sins, is not something that we should just hold on to ourselves, but also extend unto others. Jesus is, also going to be speak, Jesus is also speaking into his second greatest commandment, as we know he will give later on in his ministry. You cannot love your neighbor as yourself if you withhold forgiveness from them, because we do not forgive out of spite, we forgive out of love. And the third suggestion that we can make is that forgiveness helps us draw near, near to Jesus. By asking for the forgiveness of our sins, we come to realize the wretched state that we are as sinners. Therefore, we seek to be made pure and righteous by the blood of Jesus. So now that we've gone over the text and, I, and I've explained the context of it, gone deeper into it, I'd like to give three examples of forgiveness. The first would be a biblical example, the second will be a historical account, and the third will be a personal experience of mine. The biblical account will be from Luke 15, the prodigal son. We have all heard the parable of the prodigal son. The story of a boy demanding his inheritance from his father to only then squander it on reckless living. And how the father joyfully accepts the son when he returns home and seeks forgiveness, yet his older brother is discontent with all of it. I want to focus in on the father for a moment. Even though this, is, this parable is titled the parable of the prodigal son, that's a man-made title. Um, the father is who we should really look at in this parable, not the prodigal son. That is because it's the father in this story and the forgiveness that he bestows upon us that we can learn from. The forgiveness that he bestows upon his boys is a mere reflection of the forgiveness that our heavenly father gives us. So when the young, youngest son came back home after wasting away all of his inheritance, he repeats twice to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. This posture that the son has towards his father and towards his sin of feeling ashamed and unworthy to receive the forgiveness that he is beseeching for is how we should act regarding our sins and the forgiveness that we seek for from our Heavenly Father. We need not ever become callous to our sins or treat them lightly because, as I said earlier, it is a direct violation of the law of God and it actually puts us at enmity with God because sin, when put plainly, separates us from the love of God. But praise God, praise Him for His endless grace and His compassion upon us. Just like the Father in this parable, our Heavenly Father has compassion on us, embraces us, and pours out endlessly and freely upon us His love. The nucleus for forgiveness is love, and we learn that from the Father. The magnitude of the forgiveness that is given to the Son is greater than that of His debt to His Father, just like our sins to our Heavenly Father. Friends, we've all acted like each brother in this parable. The prodigal son who wants, it his, who wants it his way and doesn't care about how it might affect others. And then also the older brother who feels justified by his works. Yet in the process of that, loses his compassion for others. And in this parable, his own brother. The self-righteous state of the older brother has caused him to be completely blind and seeing love and forgiveness that is before him. 
May we all correct ourselves and instead go forth and be like the father, the father in this parable who welcomes those indebted to him with open arms, ever full of compassion and love and forgiveness. The kind of forgiveness that the father of the prodigal son imparts is the same forgiveness that we should embody and personify. He does not withhold the father forgiveness. There are no prerequisites for it. And he shows no contempt to his, to his son who is indebted to him. The father, when seeing the desolate state of his boys, he's passed his indebted status to him. He instead sees a son who's returned and he is filled with joy towards his boy. Beyond the fattened calf that he slaughters for his son and the robe and the ring and the shoes that he clothes him with, the greatest gift that the father gave his boy that day is the gift of forgiveness. Before sharing this parable in Luke 15, Jesus shares another, and it relates to this one. It's the parable of the lost coin. That relates to this parable because in it we see Jesus speaking on forgiveness. He says in Luke 15, 10, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I want this to stick with you this Advent season because there's another instance in the Bible, and we've been highlighting it this Advent season, of how when one sinner repents, the whole host of, of, of angels of heaven are rejoicing. And we see that in Luke chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, when the angel of the Lord shared with the shepherds the birth of the Messiah. And we read, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the same angels that rejoice over you and me, a sinner, repenting of their sins, are the same angels that rejoice when our Messiah, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was born. So now for a historical account on forgiveness. A hero of mine since the Marine Corps, a hero, excuse me, is Louis Zamperini. If you don't know about Louis, I'll share his incredible life. He was the son of Italian immigrants who grew up in California. Uh, he was bullied and picked on because he couldn't really speak the English language. Um, but his saving grace was track. He was a really fast kid growing up, ran in high school, and was so fast that he actually competed and qualified for the 1936 Olympics, which were hosted in Nazi Germany at that time. Louis ran in the 5,000-meter event, and while placing eighth, he ran the last lap so fast that it caught the attention of none other than Adolf Hitler, who requested a personal meeting with Louis to congratulate him on his fast lap. That caught the attention of everybody in the stadium. Oddly enough, after running in the Olympics, Louis went back home and uh, ran track at the University of Southern California before enlisting in the army as a bombardier to fight against the Nazis and Adolf Hitler in World War II. Louis was a successful bombardier, but unfortunately one day on a rescue mission, his plane crashed in the Pacific Ocean. And for 47 days, Louis was adrift at sea. And so finally, he was picked up by the Japanese Navy. He was a prisoner of war for over two years and was moved around a bit to different POW camps because of his notoriety as an Olympian. And he was attempted to use him as a propaganda stunt, um, trying to sway America and other nations um, just in negotiations and to kind of have their way with him. But it was at one of these camps that Louis was severely and horrifically tormented by a guard named Machiro Wanatabe, who was nicknamed the Bird. But as the war was coming to a close, Louis was finally liberated from the POW camp. And when he came back home, he was a national war hero and toured the nation. But like most combat veterans, when Louis came home, he struggled with PTSD, which then led to alcoholism. 
But it was at a Billy Graham tent crusade that his wife brought him to that he became a born-again Christian. And the rest of his life, Louis was a motivational speaker and evangelist. In true full-circle fashion, in 1998, Japan was awarded the Olympics. And Louis Zamperini was chosen to carry the Olympic torch on a route in Japan to the Olympic Games, to the opening ceremony. The actual route that Louis ran was close to the POW camp where he was under the horrific hand of uh, Matsushiro Wanatabi, the bird. While there, Louis attempted to meet the bird, who had evaded prosecution for being a, um, a war criminal. Um, but Louis sent him a letter. And in this letter, he wrote how he had forgiven him for everything that he had done to him all those years ago, over 60 years ago. And to forgive someone who caused you that amount of emotional, mental, and physical stress and tremendous amounts of pain is inconceivable. But what I want you to notice is that Louis didn't come to forgive the bird until he was first forgiven by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it was actually alleged that in that letter, Louis Zamperini wrote out the gospel to the bird. Now, we don't know if the bird actually opened up the letter, if he read it, because he refused the meeting with Louis Zamperini, but we know that it was delivered. And Louis once spoke on forgiveness, saying this, I think the hardest thing in this life is to forgive. Hate is self-destructive. If you hate somebody, you're not hurting the person you hate. You're hurting yourself. It's a healing, actually. It's a real healing, forgiveness. Now I'd like to share a personal uh, experience on forgiveness. I grew up in a home where forgiveness was rare to see. Most of the time when it was shown, it wasn't genuine. The way in which forgiveness was displayed in my household was that instead of asking for forgiveness from the person that you hurt, you, you instead showed acts of love, hoping that that would not only heal the hurt that you've done to that person, but it also helped you so you didn't have to, to acknowledge the wrong that you had done, which we all know is in no way, shape, or form how forgiveness is taught in the Bible or is shown in the Bible. And as I mentioned earlier in the church, I uh, mentioned earlier, I grew up in the church. I was in church every Sunday from the moment the doors were open until they were closed. And so I know my Sunday school teachers and the priests that I had growing up taught on forgiveness. I was probably taught on forgiveness, especially in Sunday school, every which way that you could teach an elementary school kid on forgiveness. But it didn't translate for both me and my family to our home. Somehow in my home, the forgiveness that was spoken of at church was just an example, a biblical example that couldn't actually occur within our home. It was cheap forgiveness that was in my home, not the kind of forgiveness that we find in the Bible. Of course, we would ask God, my family, to forgive us of our sins, but in no way would we have asked it or expected it from somebody within our home. The way I understood it was that forgiveness only came from God. I sadly treated forgiveness like this for many years. 24 years, actually. It wasn't until I became a born-again Christian, surrendering my life to Jesus in 2016. Then, at that point and further, I came to really and truly understand the forgiveness that God had for me and how I am to extend it to others. Now, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes forgiveness doesn't seem practical or justified, but neither does the forgiveness of God when you look at it through a worldly lens and not a biblical lens, as I had for so long. But now the forgiveness that I have received from God helps me gain not only a better understanding of what forgiveness truly is, but it also helps me truly and wholly forgive others that are indebted to me. And I'll share with you a story that might seem comical to you right now, but I guarantee wasn't in the moment. This past summer, after church one Sunday, Danielle, Jane, and I 
had lunch on our front doorstep, on our porch. It was one of those beautiful summer days uh, where while it was hot outside, it was just too beautiful to not be outside. Um, so Danielle made sandwiches, and we ate on our front doorstep. And somehow, without Danielle and I seeing, Dan- Jane grabbed the door, our front door, and she closed it. And by the way that she closed the door, somehow her little fingers turned the knob on the lock on our door. And I became really frustrated with her, one, because she closed the door. But then when I tried to open up the door handle, I realized that we were locked out. Then I became more than just irritated when I realized that my keys were inside of the home, that we had been locked out of our home. And if I'm being honest with you, I became full of anger and questioned my two-year-old up and down why she did what she did and requested a logical explanation as if a two-year-old could give me such. But a long story short, we only had to wait about an hour before a locksmith came and, and freed us into our home. Thankfully, nobody suffered heat exhaustion or dehydration. We were good. But looking back upon this event over the summer, in no way did I show Jane compassion or forgiveness. It wasn't until she cried from realizing what she had actually done did I forgive her for her actions. It hadn't even crossed my mind to forgive her until the, the tears were streaming down her face. I failed her in that moment. I failed her in teaching her what true forgiveness is and what it looks like. Since that event, I can tell you two things. The first is that Jane is still not allowed to close doors in our house. And the second is that forgiveness should not be prolonged, but instead given much quicker than we think. How can I ask God for forgiveness of my sins when I can't even forgive my two-year-old for something that she didn't even understand what she did? Forgiveness must be given in both great and small moments. It must be given freely and endlessly. A perfect picture of this is in Matthew 18, where we find the parable of the unforgiving servant. In it, we see Jesus say when asked, how many times should a brother forgive a brother? And he says this, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. This equates to 490 times. And this is not an exact number, but an illustration of the unlimited amount of times we are to forgive one another. And praise God, there is no limited number of how many times we can be forgiven from God. And to bring this teaching now on Luke 12, 14, and 15, and the text that we've give, have been given from God, and the teaching from Jesus, and the one that I've given you today, all to a close, is that we see the gravity to which God puts an emphasis upon forgiveness. Of him in, imparting it unto us, and how we are to impart it unto others. God is the one who forgives. He is who created a way for us to even be forgiven of our debts to him, yet also teaches us on how to forgive forgive others who are indebted to us. It is impossible for us to keep this forgiveness to ourselves, because for us to be forgiven, as Jesus says, we must first forgive those who are indebted to us. So if you're thinking to yourself right now, are you telling me, Patrick, that if I still haven't forgiven John Doe, then God hasn't forgiven me of my sins? I say to you, yes. Yes, I am. But actually, it's Jesus who is telling you this. We read it in the Lord's Prayer explicitly in in verse 14 and verse 15. Now, like Louis Zamperini said, forgiveness may be the hardest thing we have to do in this life. But when when it comes to the reward of being forgiven of our Creator, by our Creator, the reward of becoming more conformed to the image of Jesus, and lastly, the reward of reconciliation to our neighbor, it does not compare. Please don't say to yourself, well, you don't know what he or she did to me or what they said to me or the pain that they've caused me. 
Because may I stop you right there. Those words are not of Christ, but of the evil one. Because in no way, shape, or form in the Bible, in no way, shape, or form does Jesus give us an exception to who we should or shouldn't forgive. Because praise God, there's no exception for us. We need to relinquish the debts of others just as God has done for us. I know how hard forgiveness can be. Trust me, I've lost dear people in my life due to the hardness of hearts. But we read in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let that convict you, motivate you to display forgiveness unto others just as you have been given forgiveness. So if you struggle with forgiveness, then know that you are not alone. I'm right there with you as many others are in this room. But you do not have to go through it alone. Let Christ the King grace this church, your church, pray with you and walk with you if you need help in forgiving someone or are seeking forgiveness from another. We have an incredible prayer team that can pray over you, and I know Roger and I would both love to pray with you. And, and during communion, we'll have people in the back that are there for prayer. Go to them if you're seeking forgiveness or need help in forgiving someone who has hurt you or is indebted to you. Because it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do the unimaginable. And by the name of Jesus, our Heavenly Father will grant the desires of our hearts. And so now please join me in prayer as we seek to understand and comprehend forgiveness more, but also the strength and the motivation to display it unto others. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the sweet and holy and perfect gift that forgiveness is and how it is from you and how when we display it, when we live it out, Lord, no matter how hard it is, that it brings joy to you, a smile to your face, Lord. When forgiveness doesn't seem practical in this life or just unimaginable, help bring us peace and understanding how in you all things are possible and how forgiveness is not something that we are just to keep to ourselves but impart and gift unto others, Lord. So I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that we become strengthened in forgiveness. I pray that it glorifies and honors you and may by the power and the name of Jesus we, be, we may become more, more, more lived out in your character and your blessing unto others. It's in your name I pray. Amen.